<laughs> and I just, I just looked him square in the eye and said, "We all shave him silky smooth." <laughs> oh, oh, God! Oh. Uh, hi everybody, welcome to the podcast, not sponsored by Manscaped, unfortunately, but we found an old coupon for Harry's razors, so what we're going to do is recommend that you cash that in, and then shave your balls with a face blade, and, uh, and it's apparently it works. Matt, would you care to expand? Uh, listen, Harry has the best razors, because <laughs> Harry has the experience of ball shaving. Shaving those... Pruny balls, fresh oh. from the back. Yeah. Ooh, it's like... No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stop you there and instead let people know that, hi, you're listening to the Big Damn Cast. Nerdy news, geeky gossip, stuff that's fit to fill your time between ball shaves. I am Chris Smooth as a Whistle Johnson. I am Matt like a soft walnut Watson. Oh, walnut Watson. New Walnut Watson from Walls. I'd buy Wal- one. Walnut I'd get- Whip. Uh, <laughs> Watson, Watson's Walnut Whip. I'd get stuck whip. right in. I really would. Um, would. Speaking, of would. Stuck, speaking of getting stuck right in, uh, we're going to talk about pop culture news because yeah. things have happened, question mark? For no, starters, I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in on, on the, the latest on PS5 supplies. No fuckers got any. No, nope, um, there are none. There are no PS5s. I now have the savings to the side, thanks to uh, contributions on Twitch and, and our own savings. And Nope, can't find them. For love no money. Nope. Smith's Toys, no. HMV, no. Zavi, no. Game, no. Amazon, no. Various Super Machés, no. Argos, not... get to fuck. Nothing. There's They're nothing not out there. They're not back in stock until much later in the year. Probably the next financial year, I'd imagine, so probably not till around April time. Well, there there've been rumor there've been rumors um of a shadow and the, in the and the, occasion, and the occasional tusk. Uh there's rumors that mid February restocks happening in a lot of major retailers. Um the reason okay. this rumor's come about is because a few have trickled in to some places. People have scooped some up in the last week just randomly. Oh my god, my local Argos has one. Bye. So it's like, huh, how'd that happen? Unless one slipped through the net or they've sent a few out and they've sent a few out interesting though that i think this is the very first time this has happened on this scale i think about 2013 the xbox uh xbox one and the ps4 plentiful there wasn't a, a shortage I think, I think until a like early 2014 is the pandemic affecting manufacturing and shipping true but that's that's the best that's just, the biggest part of it like just don't release it yet then yeah well that was not ready happen because they had to get it out for this financial year or yeah i suppose it's the staring into the abyss and the abyss blinking thing too because they will never not release a console at the same time like it will always happen that way well it's not even it's not even that it would have been out it had to be out before the end of this financial year so Mm. it'll show up on their reporting for the companies yeah and then it would also have it would have to be out during the holiday season to so people would actually spend money on it because it was going to be expensive. So it was despite never going to come out. Despite it being a holiday season during a worldwide pandemic where a lot of people yeah. aren't able to spend the cash. So, so, one, people are strapped for cash, and two, they weren't as able to make and ship as many. 
for this is for both the PlayStation and the Xbox Series X. Mm. Um, so it was never, it was never not going to come out in November of twenty of twenty twenty, but it was it, it, the fact that it did because of everything else going on meant that it was always going to be short stocked. Yeah, I mean on the plus side, I've got this. I've got this controller. I've got a controller oh. here that I got for my birthday. Commit commitment you, from Lou. Why do you have a why do you have a dual sense? But no PS5. Lucy said she got me this for my birthday. She got me a gaming chair for my birthday and she got me this PS5 controller. Um and she said, Well it's it's officially an investment now, isn't it? And you doing your live streams and that, but also means we can play games together. When when the PlayStation 5 is in our grasp, we will have the option to play games together. And I went, that's great. I don't know what games, because there's fuck all on the system, really, It'll except for a bunch a of PS4 game stuff. It looks nice, yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly nothing with fucking couch co-op. No. The, the, the game I'm excited for now, in terms of trying to get hold of the console ASAP, is uh, Deathloop, which has now got a confirmed release date for April. Yeah. I'm like, Deathloop that I want to play. I want to get on that shit asap and i'll i'll look for any excuse to replay miles morales again and blast through that yeah on, on, a, on a higher res because yeah. uh it's one of the games that has the upscale built into the release so you put the disc in the console and the console goes oh you bought this here's the ps5 version downloaded there you go yeah, enjoy we like, charge you print. full price for half a game hey um hey it's at least two-thirds of the length and it's not about the length it's the girth anyway um speaking of girth uh, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm alright. That, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It does if you know me. Oh um, god. It looks extra girthy <laughs> after you've shaved him. Um, Look, I take big belts, that's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny looking buckle. That's not the buckle. Oh my god. So, do you think anyone's ever done that? Just stuck the willy out the front and spray painted it silver and pretended it's part of a novelty belt buckle. I can't imagine it's good for your skin. Yeah, but the breeze feels nice, though. And also... You, Welcome back it, to the big damn cocks. Where, uh... Do you do it when it's, like, at full extension? And then it'll go flaccid and the paint will all wrinkle? Or do you do it when it's... Flaccid? And then the paint will stretch and show the flesh through? Like, there's no good way to do it. You half and half you, it. Half and half it. You cut cage it instead, and you just lightly okay. paint the knob silver. Okay, and then it's very just sort of funny there. looks from Keeks on the couch here. I should um, hope so. Is she holding the key? <laughs> no, no. Oh, that's right. I've got it. That's why you still talk to me. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's why we. That's why we still record this podcast every week. Because you're like, please, for the love of shit, could you give me my chastity key? Please, I'm dying for. Please. I'm dying to. I'm dying to piss at a non-awkward angle. Speaking of hey. pissing uh, an awkward angle, uh, coming up in today's show, yes, uh, we've we've got uh, some news on the new things available on streaming services, specifically the Stars extension to Amazon, because Matt's well, been exploring. New, but yes. Oh, they are for you, oh, boy. One of them is. Uh, we look back at a brand new release that actually came out last year that we've talked about briefly. Uh, I've seen Bill and Ted face the music. So we're gonna have a little chat about Bill and Ted face the music. Spoilers expected, so brace yourself yes. for that one. Uh, yes. We're going to be diving into One Division episode four because, mmm, tasty me like. Uh, mm, and finally, uh, we've got 
Emails. But first, Emails. Matt, what tasty meats are on your cheese board so, this fine Saturday evening? We... Is it Saturday? God, I'm so... No, it, it's so Tuesday evening, but they all blend together now. Yes. Um, so I... <laughs> or we, myself and, and my erstwhile, my erstwhile partner... Um, Ernest Wild Partner. Ernest, <laughs> Lovely man. Ernest Partner. Um, we... Took the plunge on the Stars Play add-on subscription for Amazon Prime. So what's because that, Matt? It's uh, it's a streaming service within a streaming service. It's 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 cable. Oh, Congratulations! Gosh. We got rid of cable and and we're doing cable again. <laughs> awesome! It happened. Cool. It happened. Channels. Great, great. <laughs> um, so it's not so much a snake of... eating its tail as a, t- a snake presenting. Two tails from which yeah. you can choose which one to eat. But one of the tails been, I, is attached to the other tail. I've been thinking of getting the shudder one, but I'd, only I would watch it, so I can give you a I can give you a skinny on that. Lucy got the uh the trial. Yeah. Did not enjoy it. The selection the selection's too early doors to really get anything out of. In what sense? Like the, the, the original documentaries about the horror films were kinda cool, but felt very um American half hour, i.e. 20 minutes of um, sort of content with two minutes of repeated bits and pieces from earlier in the same documentary as though an ad break was there somewhere in it. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, okay. Which is weird because original... something that's made for a streaming service. Yeah, but I think it's more the sensibilities of the content creators they're working with at this point. They're just yeah. used to making a certain thing. Uh, same yeah. with, um, same with she says, uh, the, the original films. They're just not particularly as of yet so i'd wait until that catalog gets bigger before diving into shudder unless shudder's listening and wants to sponsor us in which case thanks uh we'll talk and revise this section in the expanded re-release of this episode in the future it it was more of their back catalog of stuff of like Hmm. older movies that i was more interested in but yeah i get you the exorcist Um, 2 the heretic Candyman Uh, 3 seed of chucky all your favourites. Can- seen Candyman 3. It's not very good. Um, Farewell to the Flesh? Or is that 2? I don't that's know. That's 2. Which is fine. It makes no sense. <laughs> especially in relation to the first film. But it's fine. Um, is that because the first film kind of says all it needs to say, but then they make sequels because films do well? That's exactly what happened, actually. Yeah. yeah. That is yeah. exactly what happened. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> we had a little fiddle around with Stars. I bet Play you did. All right. Because it is the place to watch the new adaptation of The Stand, which is currently airing. Um, the, the Stephen famous, King book adapted into the, a mini Sarai's. The, the infamously hefty. Stephen King novel, <laughs> which uh, which has been once again adapted. It was previously adapted in the uh, in the early nineties into a like a four hour mini series with Gary Sinise and Molly Ringwald and a bunch of other cool people. Um, which is fine, like it's fine. It's very of its time. <laughs> yeah, it 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 has aged <laughs> like a fine wine. If that wine was made partially with Vimto instead of grapes. It, it has aged like fucking 
red wine vinegar. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> but now it's got another adaptation. I think it's an eight or nine episode. Maybe it's a ten episode miniseries. So it's not really a miniseries at that point. Um, helmed <laughs> by uh, Josh Boone. Where um, do I know that name, Josh Boone? Fresh off, fresh off New Mutants. <laughs> oh. And and we wanted to check that out because it's been getting a bit of stick. Like people really? not liking it. Um, and so we watched it, and it's it's coming to Stars Play slightly behind its airing in the US. Mm-hmm. So when we watched it, only the first four episodes were up, and then episode five went up on Sunday, just gone. But we haven't watched it yet. Um, so we we watched the first four episodes like in one sitting, and they're like hour long episodes each, and, and proper hour long, not American hour long where it's forty five minutes with space for ads, like proper hour longs with padding. Yeah, and it's really good. I don't know why people don't like it. Um, so for those who um don't know, the stand is the. Uh, very unfortunately timed uh, story of um, a small group of survivors of a worldwide pandemic. Oh! Wipes out. It's a a very uh, a very strong flu variant which wipes out 99% of the population. I just heard Keek's wince Um, in the background. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, And... And basically, so and then the survivors basically split off into two camps, um, the Boulder Free Zone under the 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 saintly, uh, wizened Mother Abigail. Um, <laughs> I love a wizened mother. I know. And then my the, favorite painting, uh, the debauched and violent uh, group in New Vegas under the Dark Man, the Walking Dude, uh, Randall Flag. Um, mm. and it's basically good versus evil in the ruins of the old world. Um, okay, this is the this is the second time we've talked about a Stephen King thing on here with Randall Flag in it. Yes, so Randall so, Flag pops up in in a few of Stephen King's works, but he's most prominent here and in the later Dark Tower novels. Now, when we cover the Dark Tower film adaptation. <laughs> Um, yeah. it featured Mahathew McConaughey as Randall yeah. Flagg. Um, McConaughey! And at the time, they said that they were going to spin several other King-based things out of the Dark Tower. Like, they planned to do a TV tie-in and maybe a sequel Which film. Which was optimistic, to say the least. Yeah. Are there any remnants of that in this? I'm I'm assuming it isn't tying into the film um, The Dark Tower at all, but is could you no, like, as someone who's it, watched many spin-offs appear and, and die and whatnot, could you smell mm, mm, any little snifters no, of, of only... Oh, that's been left over from a previous production? No. No, not at all. Uh, um good. the stuff Ooh. that the stuff that Because that stuff is all retroactively done in the later Dark Tower books, really. Yeah. Like, there's not much in the stand that links it to the wider... Like, the Dark Tower is the sort of spine of the yeah. sort of interlinked Stephen King multiverse. Like, it's, it all comes from there. So the other mm. works don't really have any of that stuff 
in, apart from little snippets here and there in, in certain pieces, but the stand doesn't have any of that in, um, other than, you know, the existence of Randall Flagg as a character and his sort of supernatural abilities. Um, Who portrays Randall Flagg in this adaptation? Has he rocked up yet? He has rocked up in style. Uh, you don't actually... You see him in episode one, but you don't see his face until the very end. Okay. Um, and he is played by the wolfish, appropriately wolfish, uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Ah! Another bloody Skarsgård muslin in. is superb. Really good. And he's... And he's very book accurate. He's all in leather, cowboy boots, smiley face pin badge on the pocket of his leather of his denim jacket. Did I say leather? I meant denim. Uh, he's all in <laughs> denim. Um, his Lenin jacket. His Lenin. <laughs> yeah, and just like he's got big old quiff, um, and just he's superb because I think what people have sort of do not like about this adaptation which I think is really smart. And again, just is, to is it, for new listeners, Matt is our Stephen King aficionado, yeah. um, super fan, knows his shit, King's in his blood, literally. He came to his house one day and climbed into his veins. It's where he stashes all of his cocaine, he put it inside Matt. Yeah. He, put it in he me. tells the world he's um, sober now, but no, he just visits Matt once every couple of years and snorts him. Uh, on a side note, I, a story Elijah Wood tells about uh, are told on the King cast about Stephen King. Apparently Stephen King takes... He doesn't smoke anymore. Yeah. Apart from when he takes a drive, like, once a week. And during that... Like, during his drive in the evening, smokes five cigarettes. Back to back. And that's the so only he does time smoke. he smokes now. So he does smoke. <laughs> but he just smokes five at once. When he goes for a drive at night, and that's the only time he smokes now. Anyway, um, a man rife with addiction issues, uh, infamously so. Hmm. Uh, so if you've ever tried to read hey, the stats, At least he self-contained them into a weekly appointment instead of letting well, it rule yeah. his life, I guess. So, yeah, because no. we don't want to get the Tommy knockers again. Um, so <laughs> um, if you've ever tried to read the stand, and if you can deal with long books, you should, because it's brilliant. It is a very long book. One of, if not the longest book that he's written. Um, it's well over um, 1,100 pages in paperback. Is um, Keek still reading it as of this recording? No. She was tackling it last year, wasn't she? Oh, yeah. No, Keeks reads books at a, uh, an actual pace. So it didn't last that long. Um, for reference... We talk about you reading the stand. Go back to sleep. Um... <laughs> Do watch, carry on watching John Mulaney, don't worry about us. Um, oh, wait, well, which John Mulaney? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, to, uh, for reference, I've got the audiobook of The Stand on Audible, and it's about, and it's 40, it's just over 48 hours long. Jesus Christ. Um, that better be a, so, that better be a somniferous tone reading that book, that version to get you through it. Jesus Christ. Oh, no, that I'm not saying that. You, I'm not saying that obviously it's not worth it, but... the journey, but like if you're committing to 48 hours of an audio, it better be somebody who you're like, I'd listen to them till the day I die. <laughs> I can't remember who's narrating it, but they do a very, very, very good job. Um, so 
the stand is it's enormous and like the first third of it is the beginning of the outbreak mm-hmm. to it just collapsing society and then there's another chunk of the survivors all coming together and establishing a new society and etc 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 and then the end of it is those two societies and the confrontation this adaptation starts with the sort of with that new community already together and it goes Mm. back Focusing on like one right, or two characters yeah. per episode goes back and forth between the initial outbreak stuff that's happening, like those characters, sort of what happens to them during that, during the outbreak and the aftermath, how they come together with other survivors, how they end up in where they're going. Um, and it's so each episode kind of jumps back and forth between the the sort of new the the post uh post plague societies and pre and during the plague and the immediate aftermath of the plague so i think a lot of people are put off by the sort of back and forth nature of it in time like the timeline but mm-hmm. unlike other stuff that does that like we were uh we watched a couple of episodes of um the serpent on bbc yeah which, jenna uh, coleman doing okay. a french accent yeah yeah and that is very all over the place um it has more captions but it doesn't it's so all over the place it doesn't make much sense whereas Mm. the stand is it does go back and forth but it's always very clear when you are Mm -hmm. like with little things like say um this one character nick who is um, a deaf mute dude, and his eye gets fucked up, like just before yeah. the outbreak, and he wakes up in hospital. So you kind of know where he is in his story by like, is he wearing a dressing? Is he got the eye patch? Is he got the proper leather eye patch? Is he got like a makeshift one? Um, so you are introduced to characters that you don't entirely know yet, and you just sort of thrown in with them and then you so you'll meet characters in episode one that you don't really learn much about until episode three okay but like because there's so many characters rather than developing them all slowly over the course of this miniseries it's like focusing on one or two um at a time to sort of bring you to a point where presumably everything will converge Mm -hmm. um and I think they've done a really good job of, because they are focusing on a couple of characters per episode, that I think they've done a really, really good job of um, of capturing what's great about those characters. Um, Plot-wise, so far, it's pretty faithful um, to what is, to be fair, a long plot, but not an overly complicated one. Um, yeah. So... It's 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 creepy, and it's it does not uh, shy away from some of the nastiest stuff that happens. Um, the the sort of effect of the virus, where it makes you like really phlegmy, and you basically you basically drown on your own mucus, 
Oh, lovely. And and your uh, your like lymph nodes uh, swell up. Mm-hmm. So there's all these corpses and people who are like like in the end stages of the virus who just have <clears throat> the their necks just inflated. Yeah, so they look like huge, they towed it. like like fucking bullfrog necks, and that's like how you know they're in the end stages of it. Like these yeah. huge like. Uh, like discolored bullfrog necks and like streaming with mucus, um, and that all that makeup stuff is really really nasty, mm. um, and you see a lot of it. Uh, performances are fucking stupendous across the board. Uh, a particular couple of shout outs thus far. Again, I'm only four episodes in, so it could shit itself. Um, <laughs> could shit but- the bed. Yeah, it could shit the bed. Uh, unfortunately, it does have Amber Heard in it. Oh. Uh, but she's a villain, so... There we go. Um, Do you know but... the character's ultimate fate? Yes. Will it be weirdly morally satisfying? Uh, I don't know if it's morally satisfying, but it doesn't end well for him. Um, particular... Particular... Um, Shout-outs have to go to James Marsden for being James Marsden. Hmm? He's Stu Redman, who's sort of the de facto sort of sort of hero. Um, <laughs> Poor James Marsden. Always the sort of hero, yeah. never the lead. Um, Joven Adipo is uh, Larry Underwood, who is a musician who just gets his big break as the uh, virus uh, happens. Yeah, and but and uh, is like on a downward spiral of like drugs and alcohol and being a complete fucking mess, and sort of mm. so he pulls himself out of that to like become a leader of the new community and stuff. Um, I feel like is is he? Uh, yeah, he was he was uh he was in Overlord. He was the lead guy in Overlord. So that's where we've seen him. Oh before. yeah, oh god, he yeah. was great in that. He's fucking yeah. he's fucking great in this as well. Um, Alexander Skarsgård, of course, being fucking creepy Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, Nat Wolf is um, Lloyd Henry, who sort of becomes Flag's right-hand man. Uh, he's great. Uh, Owen Teague, uh, who was uh, Patrick Hoxtetter in the It uh, movie recently. He plays oh, yeah. uh, Harold Lauder, who's like... Um, Basically, is a is a turncoat for the. Uh, mm. He like becomes part, becomes a member of the Boulder community, and then tries to sabotage it. He's very very bitter, and he's incredible in this. He's like a creepy George McFly. He's so he's, George McFly. Yeah, he's like channeling. He's like <laughs> so so Crispin Glover in the rehearsals for George yeah, McFly. He's 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 an incel Crispin Glover. Yeah, like okay, when, I see when, that. when you first meet him, he even fucking dresses like George McFly, like nineteen fifties George McFly, but in twenty nineteen, like, <laughs> and he's greasy and and just unpleasant and sort of, but he's a really interesting character because he sort of goes on this journey where he is sort of starting to become accepted, and there's moments there where it's like he could just let go of all this resentment he's built up, um, and just and. And, and move forward and sort of things would end better for so many people yeah. but you just can't let it go can't and, do it. And, and he does a really really good job with that stuff like he's 
He's fucking excellent in this. And uh, Greg Kinnear is Glenn Bateman. He's great. He's Greg Kinnear. What do you want? Uh, Fiona, <laughs> Fiona Doriff's in this, but she hasn't popped up yet. Um, oh, I love I Fiona Doriff. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg is uh, Mother Abigail, and she's Whoopi Goldberg. What do you want? What, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? Uh, Odessa Young is, is Fran uh, Goldsmith, who's like the sort of female lead of the piece she is. She ends up hooking up with Stu, even though she's way younger <laughs> than him. Um, like she's, a, she's, a, she's like a 19 or 20 or something at the start of the outbreak, and she's she's pregnant just before the start of the outbreak, so she's got this baby, and she doesn't know if it's going to be born immune. Is that going on? Ah, shoot. But she's great in this. Um, and finally, I want to shout out, because yeah, there's people I haven't met yet, So, but I want to shout out Brad William Henke, um, who... Uh, I think the thing most people will know him from is Split. He is um, the lead girl's uncle. In Split, oh yeah, the yeah. the the abusive uncle, uh, but in this he plays Tom Cullen, who is a uh, uh, an older man with de- like a developmental difficulties, mm-hmm. um, who meets Nick, who's deaf mute, mm-hmm. and they sort of like against all odds end up becoming best friends. So he's this enormous fucking beefy dude with this huge beard. I'll show you picture of him um and he just he's built like an absolute brick shit house but he's like wearing cargo shorts and a dolly parton t-shirt and has his glasses on a little on like a little librarian cord and he's super gentle and childlike and just just wonderful um and he does this and he gets all the uh, sort of mannerisms from the book down, but without being... He's not simple jacking it. Yeah. I, <clears throat> yeah. He's, he's Southern, so he's got the accent, and he's like, oh, laws. Uh, and then he, he has this whole, like, speech that he says, that he's memorised, that he says when he first meets people. Mm-hmm. He's like, my name is Tom Cullen. I'm 42 years old. I'm developmentally challenged. I don't pick up on... I don't pick up well on social cues, and I can't read... And it's... It, it's more, it's more complicated, but it's that kind of thing where he just he launches into this whole speech when he first meets someone, and he just, just let, lets them know the deal. He's yeah. practiced it to save himself a lot of time and confusion and hurt. And he's ju- and it's just a really sort of sweet, um, and uh, like innocent performance, and it's not. I think it just stands out to me because it is so sort of. Uh, like sort of incongruous coming from such a fucking enormous dude. Ah, oh, there we go. That's a picture of the character. Um, there he is. Ah, there he is. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Um, and what? What's again? What's interesting about that character is that he ends up being one of the spies that the Free Zone people send into New Vegas to ah. see what Flag's up to. Um, and he's just. There's a moment in episode four where they sort of say goodbye to him and send him off on his little spying mission. And I swear to God, I was welling up. Yeah. 
Like, it's just so well done. Um, I don't know why people don't like this adaptation. It's far superior to the 90s one. It's, it's smarter, more pragmatic an adaptation. I think it, yeah, it takes liberties. Of course it does. Like, it gender swaps some of the more minor characters. Um, and of course, it's a way more racially diverse cast than it is in the novel and the original adaptation. Um, all changes for the better, I I would say. Um, but four episodes in, I just think it's really, really good stuff. Like stylish, violent when it needs to be. Like, there's an awful lot of people getting shot in the face. But, like, not... They've not just added that stuff for the hell of it. Like, that stuff's in the book. And it's just sort of, like, signifying the brutality of the stuff that's going on. Um, but it also knows when to show a bit of restraint. Um, and when not to. Like, if I remember correctly, it opens with... Like, the start of the first episode is the clean-up crew in the Boulder Free Zone starting to clear bodies out of like houses and churches and stuff so that is where the show starts yeah so it, it sets it sets up shop very early on um and goes back and forth quite a bit so it doesn't so you don't have to like oh we're gonna spend four episodes doing the fucking oh everyone's starting to get sick and oh no oh no it's episode two and people are starting to die and oh no it's episode three and now people are all dead and there's only a couple of survivors and now it's episode four and I guess all the survivors are maybe coming together. It's like, that's fucking tedious. You just get, you know where you're going. Yeah. And we can fill it. We can fill in the gaps. Yeah. You fill in the gaps as you go out the world we're in now. And it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to know that certain characters end up in certain places Mm -hmm. without having seen that journey because going back and seeing that journey later on is part of the story like it's, yeah. it's not about where people end up it's about how they get there and sometimes you can know where people end up and and learn how they got there later and it still be compelling you know what i mean yeah so they, I'm, they, i really they, they, they cut it. the fat and you know they, you know i like the stand i think it's a great book but it's very fucking long it's got a lot of fat on it like mm. the same with it like it's an incredibly long book you can cut a lot of it and they did and they made a pretty damn good adaptation, I think. Um, this is still a, like it's still a fucking ten-hour miniseries or nine-hour <laughs> miniseries or however fucking long it is. It's it's a, it's a good chunk of time. Like you're gonna get, you're gonna get most of the stuff that you want, if yeah. not all. And it's probably it the stuff that they've changed is probably going to be for the better because I, I hear they've written a new ending for it and God knows that's got to be better. So there we go. <clears throat> Stephen King is not great with endings. So yeah, that's me. I watched the, I watched the stand on stars play. Uh, other things that I have watched on stars play. Um, Channel zero is on there. I've started watching that. I'm three episodes into the first season. It's, it's pretty good. I don't have really much more to say about it than that. There's a, there's a person made of teeth. There's, there is a person made of teeth, and it is <laughs> creepy as shit. Um, but more than that, I can't really say, because it's also very uh, inscrutable. 
Well, some folks went, Creepypasta's fine, but it could be good, and then decided (laughs) to make it into a TV show and made it good, so... Creepypasta's good, but it could be better. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I see what you did there. You did that thing from the film, the the movie film. Tell me, Christopher, tell me what you watched this week, Don. What hurt Miguel? Uh, well, I hear that you caught up with uh, the 2020 release schedule and watched a little movie called Bill and Ted Face the Music. I did. Well, not only, that, not only that, on Sunday, we uh, Lucy and I went, do you know what? We just, ugh, we need a day away from everything. Just a day where we can do something really stupid. And I was like, well, that's, that's not possible because... Even if you try and plug out from the world, people phone and and stuff. You can't really shut off everyone. That's not really fair. But Mm. we can at least provide ourselves a chunk of a day where we don't have to do anything significant. We can just unwind. We decided we wanted to watch like a a box set, like a trilogy. Um, Conveniently, I had pre-ordered the DVD of Bill and Ted Face the Music. So on Sunday Just Gone, we sat down and watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and for the first time for both of us, Bill and Ted Face the Music, which you and your goodly lady went to see last year in the brief spite when we were allowed outdoors. Yeah, the only um, time we braved the cinema trip uh, after yeah. the outbreak of the pandemic. So, um, and, and then you saw someone on the second row with an expanded uh, neck and mucus all down yeah, the front, and you went, like, right, oh, we're going home. No, I'm out of here. I'm, I don't want to catch that Captain Trips. We're um, going to take... A stand, you said, and then the audience applauded, and you were like, "Why are you all gathered together? None of you are wearing masks." And you, you said ran. it. Yeah, said it. You said the thing. Um, for starters, this is my first revisit to the the two Bill and Ted movies since maybe like the age of ten. Yeah. Um, they're the sort of films that once you've seen them as a kid, you're like, "Oh god, yeah, I loved them. I loved those films." Have I seen them sit? No, no, admittedly, no, I haven't. But I, I remember loving them. Um, yeah, they hold up really well. Yeah, I uh, think they, they are. They are, there's there's only what there's only one element of both the original films that does not, and that is the 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 slang usage of a word we Brits usually use to describe a cigarette, um, which is used as a jab at each other when they're being overly affectionate, and it's like. Ooh, it happens once in both films and you're like oh don't oh yeah. no it takes you out in 2021 um and so that kind of sucks but you could the characters are way too innocent for you to believe that they'd use it as a homosexual slur yeah as, as a homophobic slur like they wouldn't be using it like that it, it's the parlance it's like rewind what it, i mean the exact same the exact same thing happens in a bunch of films made in the uk from the early 2000s Shaun of the dead there's a bit where ed derides sean by going like all right gay you're like now you're like really is that yeah. a thing like, yeah people used to oh god man that is so gay and you're like eh, doesn't excuse it but it does at least put it into context and you're like okay sure fine sure. so those are literally the only two hiccups these movies aren't pretending to be anything bigger than dumb fun adventure like that is all they are. They are clever time travel that then contradicts its own rules because ultimately oh, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's about being funny. Um, uh, yeah. And I mean, God, that. So for those who don't know, 
minor spoilers for 20-odd-year-old films. Uh, <clears throat> no, 30-odd-year-old 30, 30 films now. Don't. Um, Don't. I can't. Yeah. 88 and 91, I think. 88 to 91? FM. BBC Radio 2. Christ. Um, Bill and Ted are two kids in high school who basically want to start a band, but they've not quite done it yet. They call themselves the Wild Stallions. They've got the instruments, but they've not learned how to play. <laughs> and they're in any other teen comedy from around the time, they would be either the snotty, like, punky bullies, or they'd be the genteel rockers who were getting bullied. None of that those tropes appear in this film ever, at <laughs> any point. Not a single one of them are here. They're just two lovable doofuses who are best mates and adore each other and talk in this sort of, like, faux um, intellectual <laughs> style uh, and, and address each other or, or introduce each other in very specific terminology. Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan, which only now, having revisited them, do I really appreciate the the genius of the Ted Theodore Logan <laughs> thing? It's like, oh, that's so brilliant! It's so so pointless. It's so pointless. Um, <clears throat> they're about to flunk their history so test, and that's going to get them kicked out of school. Which, for uh, Bill, is sort of a minor inconvenience. For Ted, is a pretty big deal because his dad is like the chief of police, and if Ted flunks school uh, history and gets kicked out of school then he's going to be sent to a military academy like seven states away alaska specifically and he really doesn't want to go there so i mean who they've does? got to get this right and they're going to cram in revision thing is they've got some help from the future george bloody carlin rocks up playing rufus in a time traveling phone booth never heard of that before and and i'll be honest even though it's never referenced that has to be a deliberate choice it has to be. Mm. It's too specific. It's too specific that they travel in a phone booth through time. But anyway, um, they rock up and he's like, right, here's the thing. You two and your success in school and life at this point is detrimental to the survival of the... F like, it, it's essential to the survival of the future. The, the, the intro to the film is George Carlin addressing the camera, basically saying that, like, life is amazing. It's the year 26 something something. Life is yeah, incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, what is it? It says like bowling scores are up, golf scores are way down. <laughs> it's just like listing all these things, but you go, wow, it sounds like there is literally nothing to worry about in the future mm -hmm. at all. And it's all because once upon a time, a band united the world and world peace began with this band. And that band is the Wild Stallions, comprised of uh, Messrs. Um, Preston and Logan. And you're like, shoot, okay. He knows that things are about to get a bit wibbly and here's the tough part. And based on what he's learned about them and their society have learned about them, this is a key moment. The history test has to be passed. So he gives them a time-traveling phone booth and says, don't just scrub up on stuff. Go and see history. But they're on a clock. The San Dimas clock, to be precise. They have a Ted's watch which is broken. He reminds himself to fix and then he doesn't do it until he <laughs> reminds himself to fix it later, which he still doesn't do it, but he's fixed from that point onwards. Um, <laughs> he's running at San Dimas time, meaning that the lads have basically got like nine hours to cram before they have to show up for the test the next day, uh, for, for the presentation the next day. So they go and meet Napoleon Bonaparte and then bring him back and leave him with um, Ted's younger brother to look after 
and then they bugger off and they meet Joan of Arc and they meet Billy the Kid and they meet Genghis Khan and and Socrates as they keep calling him Socrates and um, <laughs> and Abraham Lincoln and and Sigmund Freud and and Beethoven who they keep calling Beef Oven in the first half of the film and it's just like this is mad I love it and it's great and it's just it's just two slightly thick rocker dudes gathering historical figures and getting into various japes and scrapes and then having to get those historical figures to their school history presentation by 245 um after some of them get waylaid and arrested and napoleon like basically spends all of his day in a water slide park hogging the rides and it's it's just dumb it's just so so dumb and it knows it's dumb and it's having a whale of a time being dumb um but it's also charming, which is why I think people remember it. And it's very quotable, very like mimicable. And you can imagine kids in the early nineties and late eighties running around like pretending to play guitar to each other as a, as a, instead of high fiving each other and stuff. Like well, air yeah, guitar is a big was, part of this film. It was a big success. It got a live action and an animated spin off. Yeah, which and here's the thing. So, I was saying to Lucy the other day, she was like, I thought you really didn't like Bill and Ted overall. And I went, Do you know what? I don't think it's that. I think it's whenever we talked about it in the past. I'm going off of what I remember, and I think what I remember really is the shite um, Bandai Fox Kids or whatever live action TV show, yeah. which which was one season, and probably the animated series. Which I'm, I might be wrong, but I think it's one of those where like the pilot is is Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves voicing their characters, and then not them <laughs> like for the rest of the series that would, that would make sense that's I mean, usually how those things sort of work like buzz like your star command the vhs release of the the feature length opening movie it's tim allen voicing buzz Lightyear, and then <laughs> when the episode went out as the first like three episodes of the series it's patrick warburton who voices him in the series it's just like wait what um oh no i think they do <clears throat> they do voice uh no, they do in the first season, but not in the second. Ah, there you go. So they get swapped the, out at some cartoon, point. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's the Bill and Ted I remember, which is... It's formulaic because the same thing's going to happen every time, basically. <laughs> like, they're going to meet historical figure hijinks ensue. Just like Back to the Future, the animated series, which is effectively the exact same premise. Yeah. Um, Like, there's only so much you can do with it. But as one film, God, it's fun. Then the sequel, Bogus Journey, makes a bit of a mistake by having a villain. Um, is it Denomis, I think his name is? He, he's a guy who's like, I hate what our society is, and it's all because of these two idiots. So he's got like a cult and two robot duplicates of Bill and Ted. <laughs> and he steals time travel stuff and is going to send the robots back to kill and replace Bill and Ted and screw up this battle of the bands that they're attending that ultimately is the... The, apparently the linchpin of the, the, the their meteoric rise because by the time of the second film, Bogus Journey, they are now like a band and the two um, <laughs> bodacious princess babes that they meet in medieval England in a nondescript medieval English town <laughs> in the first one uh, with nice performances but ropey accents. Um, <laughs> I came back to live with a modern day and they're in the Wild Stallions as well and they're going to be in this battle of the bands and they're not quite ready, so... Oh, we need to brush up. And then evil Bill and Ted rock up, pretending to be them from the future. They're these robots, who are also weirdly nice to each other and have the exact same kind of, like, 
slang and everything that they talk to with each other. Well, they're still they, Bill and Ted. Yeah, they're just evil Bill and Ted. I mean, that's their names. And they... Yeah, evil robot usses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the good usses and the evil robot usses. Um, and they, you know, like, <laughs> they're like, we want to get... Not, they don't, like, necessarily enjoy hurting people, but they know that they do it and they're meant to do it. And that's cool. So we should do it. And it's weird. And they kill Bill and Ted. Half an hour into the movie, Bill and Ted are thrown off of a bloody chasm to their death. And they die. And you're like, wait, hang on. What? What? The first what? film was a time travel hijinks movie. The hell is this? Yeah, this film's about them being dead and them trying to get back to the world of living. Specifically just to make sure that their their partners, their, their, their fiancés are gonna be okay which is really freaking wholesome at no point they're like we've got to save the world or we've got to get back because we need what it's like no we just got to make sure that they're okay it's like that's really freaking wholesome like okay or like they're not aware of the bigger stakes really it's not on their radar they just want to make sure that the princesses don't get hurt so thus begin several trials and tribulations to get back including <laughs> bothering satan confronting their own yeah. personal hells um, which is a really fun sequence. Oh god, that is a really, really fun sequence. Um, with Frank Welker providing several voices in this movie. Excellent. Uncredited. He's the voice of he's the voice of the Martian entity that sometimes two different creatures called Station. Station. Which which oh god. So throughout the film, people keep saying Station, and you're like, what? <laughs> when they when they talk to God. Um, all God <laughs> says to them is station. And you're like, huh? And then they meet the alien station, who is apparently like one of the smartest creatures in the universe and can help them. Because by that point, their plan is we're going to build good robot usses to fight <laughs> evil robot usses. Like, that's their plan. So they meet it with station. And, and then other people say station throughout the film. It's not made particularly clear in the movie, but I think the joke is... Because Station, the alien, is like there playing instruments and introduced at that concert, it just becomes like a colloquialism. People just start going, Station! Because, like, it explains the earlier uses in the film of people in the future who use it as just like an exclamation, including the robot versions of them. The robot versions of them from the future, <laughs> earlier in the film, are just randomly going like, Station! You're like, why is everyone saying that? It's like, oh, I guess it becomes a slang thing. <laughs> it's really weird. So Frank Welker voices voices Station and the Devil and also the Easter Bunny from one of the Hell sequences, um, <laughs> which is nightmarish. Uh, but most importantly, the relationship that they they make in this movie is with Death. They meet Death and and they well they well they Melvin him first. Yeah. Uh, give, him, give him one hell of a wedgie, and then in a in a beautiful parody of the Seventh Seal, they 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 play a game to to win back their chance to go back to life. And instead of chess, it's like Connect Four, Battleship, Twister, and Death's just getting pissed off with each and every game he's losing, and keeps making it like best best two out of three, best four out of seven, and it's just like. <laughs> It's increasing, and oh god, that is that stuff is oh god, it's so much fun. Um, 
ultimately resulting in a rock concert where good robot thems that look absolutely freaking terrifying defeat evil robot them. <laughs> they save the princesses. The bad guy shows up to destroy them. You find out that Rufus was the concert organizer the whole time. That's the only reason they made it into Battle of the Bands, despite not being that great at this point. And then they they do some um, bribing the architect jokes, basically, with like setting up different traps for the villain by remembering to do it in the future and setting it up at this point in time. It's nuts. It, it doesn't make any sense, and they're having a ball doing it. And then they bugger off for 16 months and come back five seconds later, having done a 16-month guitar training course. <laughs> they look different. They also have children now, Little Bill and Little Ted, which I thought was wonderful in the next film you find out that that even though they're just referring to their own kids at that point it turns out their own kids are named after the other one's dad anyway which is really freaking cute when that hit me i was like oh my god but also plays into the themes of the third one but anyway um they come back they play this concert deaths on bass it goes really well and we've treated to a lot of headlines showing that this concert was seen around the world because the bad guy like broadcast it around the world to declare that he was going to, you know, change history and he wanted people to witness it and all this. So everyone sees it. The Wild Stallions get really popular and and, and everyone's happy and things look like they're going to end up in the future timeline that we all heard about in the first film. It's cute. It's lovely. End finito. And then last year we got Bill and Ted facing music. Um, which you reviewed last year on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I enjoyed and it very much. You, you, you brought good tidings and I'm so... I'm so sorry to say uh, that I'm going to have to take a sip of water for just a sec. Now that's over. I thought it was really good. Um, You have me worried there for a second. It was, it's, it's more of the same. It's It's just just like a big warm hug of a film in it. It's dumb. It's stupid. And it isn't pretending to be anything loftier than that. No. Uh, The heart is on its sleeve. There's a few more messages in there than in the first two. The first two are a little bit more dumb for dumb's sake, whereas this is kind of dumb, but every dumb thing that's happening is because they want to make life better for someone. Every character makes a decision to try and make someone else's life better yeah. in some way, yeah. and and that's sort of rewarded every time by things working out in the end. The only thing that doesn't work out is them trying to sort of cheat to get hold of the song. Because we learn in the third movie that there's another cause, like causal point in all of reality. Because it turns out it wasn't the world they united, it was the universes. <laughs> and it all began with the with Earth being bowled over by this specific performance of a specific song by the Wild Stallions on a certain day at a certain time. It's been narrowed down. In terms of the future timeline... Uh, Rufus's daughter Kelly named after George Carlin's real life daughter and played by the wonderful Kristen Shaw um, is is comes back and it's like yeah so we now know more about your history and it's at this exact time and based on what we also know about your timeline where you are now in their like late 40s with two kids of their own having had a successful music career in the 90s that fell apart after the band split up, most significant event being that Death left the band on a bad note because he had a solo album and it caused a giant rift between them all. (laughs) Um, A solo album we learned later when William Sadler reprises the role. It was an all-bass solo album. (laughs) You're like, what? Um, 
they they've the careers just kind of very slowly dried up and they're not having a good time but they keep working they've they've given the credit for 20 odd years they've consistently been working to create more music in the hopes that they will eventually hit more and more experimental (laughs) when they perform at the wedding oh it's so good (laughs) and throughout throughout the first two you have that wonderful oedipal joke of um bill's stepmom missy like ted's crushing on her She's got a very like feisty sort of fiery sexual relationship with his dad. Yeah, with with Bill's dad, and Bill is also kind of peering at her a bit. And there's these references to the fact that she's basically like five years older than them, and I think she even knows the teacher. Like, says, "Oh, say hi to Mister Whatever for me," because it's like, of course, yeah, she only left like a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so there's all this kind of like, and and later on when Freud analyzes Ted as part of the presentation, and then he says to Bill, he's like, "Your turn." And he goes like, "Oh no, I just have a mild Oedipal complex, but apart from that, I'm okay." <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait, what? And then in the second film, Missy is now uh, <laughs> with Ted's dad, <laughs> the police chief. Um, so he's now Ted's stepmom. <laughs> No, no, no. He's marrying. He's marrying. No, no. She's marrying Bill's younger brother. No, no, no. In the in the second one. In the second oh, one. Oh, she's right, she's sorry. with she's with yeah. Ted's thingy, and yeah. then it's uh, and then she's with Ted's uh, younger brother Deacon in in uh, Face the Music, having apparently left because she briefly married the supervillain <laughs> from the second one, and it's like, wait, what? So she's been like everyone's mum and 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 like. Like, like like she's about to become Ted's dad's daughter-in-law having also been Ted's dad's ex-wife yeah for a bit <laughs> meaning that she's his ex-wife and his daughter-in-law and Ted's ex-mother stepmother and now stepsister <laughs> You're like what the hell and i love that that's the only kind of really filthy joke in all three of them but they don't focus on it no. it's just there and it's like wait what <laughs> And that's when you remember, like, oh yeah, these guys did Galaxy Quest. Of, of course. Yeah. Why not? Sure. Yeah, yeah. This is weird, but they know. They know full well. Um, and they keep experimenting, but it turns out that they're not on track. So they're taken to the future and told, right, here's the clock, based on our time, in terms of how it ties in with yours. You have 50 minutes to write the song, write and then perform the song that unites the universe, starting with Earth. And it's so knowing as well, because it's like, at that point in the film, you know that there's roughly this much of the film left. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, it's almost done with a wink at the camera. It's like, oh, you have, like, 50 minutes to solve everything. (laughs) And their their daughters, uh, their daughters, uh, uh, Willie and, and Thea, they're like, they, they're so supportive of their dads. Meanwhile, their wives, now recast. But they're both doing better English accents, for sure. Yeah, I don't, um, know what, I don't know what that's about. Maybe, who could say? Yeah, I mean, maybe, as daft as it sounds, maybe they just sort of didn't resemble how they used to look enough that it would be like this. I mean, the, I think the audience who followed the first two might spend the time going, is that them? Maybe it was one of those kind of deals, or I don't know. Like, things happen for reasons. We have We have only, to be fair, we have only four five returning cast members because you have William Sadler as death um you have Ted's dad reprising the role um and you have obviously Bill and Ted so it's like okay sure like key figures that play a big part in all three of the movies 
two in Death's yeah, case. Yeah, they might have not been able to get those actresses back. Maybe they're not yeah, acting anymore. Yeah. Like, maybe they're not acting anymore. That happens sometimes as well. That does happen. Um, but like they're having doubts because they sort of feel like uh, <laughs> they sort of feel like they're in a, 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 a an emotionally polyamorous marriage <laughs> that they didn't buy into. Like it, it, it's the the guys never say like I love you. It's always I. And my most esteemed friend, Bill, <laughs> love you and you, like, respect you so much. It's like, they'd literally just want to hear them say, I love you to them yeah. individually. And Bill and Ted are just that much of a, of a close unit that they don't even realize that that's the issue. And it's kind of adorable because it's like, yeah, yeah, that's sort of the, yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, they're so dependent on each other. And, and, and the thing is, they're not. You don't look at it and go like, guys, wake up. You're like, oh, they don't realize. Oh, because <laughs> they're just so sweet and innocent. And they always have been. Like, they're never not innocent and adorable and nice to each other. I mean, come on. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Um, Indeed. Which is great. That's a great callback to the first one. Because in the first one, they accidentally go to the future briefly. And they meet like a version of the, the council there who were all in awe because they realize who it is who's appeared in the room and they all sort of gather around and everything. And, and it's like, we should say something. It's like, uh, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. And everyone sort of takes it like a, oh, wow. And they're so amazed by it. So when they rock up in this one, <laughs> that's the first thing they say to this council. And it's just kind of awkward because they both kind of feel like they're under pressure. And the council just sort of look at them and go like, Right. So you've got 50 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> like, wait, what? And they're given everything that they can to help make the hit song. They're given all the best instruments and all the best this, that, and the other. But they're so panicked and they're so starved for ideas. And like Ted was on the verge of quitting the whole thing anyway. And it, it's just, it's really awkward. Um, And that's when they have the idea of, hang on, the phone booth that we used to travel in is here as part of this exhibit to us. It still works. And we get a nice little sort of George Carlin cameo. We get a voice yeah. impersonator and a hologram to, that is, is part of the exhibit because they play it that Rufus has passed on by this point. Yeah. Um, but also he's the one who who sets off the mission and gives Kelly the doubt in, in the plan and makes her really believe it's going to work because the whole thing is this thing of like, it, um, sometimes it doesn't make sense until the very end, which ends up being the plot of the film. Like the, the way they're going to save the day doesn't make sense until the very end. Then it's like, Oh my god, of course. And it, it's it's brilliantly done. But like they use the phone booth to bugger off um to the future repeatedly, starting at like <laughs> one year in the future, then three, then five, to find the thems, the uses, which they because they say like the uses that have written the song. So meet them bef like meet them after it's worked. Every subsequent future, they are washed up or unhappy for different reasons, <laughs> even more than before. It's just progressively worse looking like, future. Ted's never touched a drop of alcohol in his life. And the first one, they're playing this like rec room in, in a reception area, <clears throat> in the hotel, and they're having the worst time ever. And Ted is like an aggressive alcoholic. Yeah. Um, Bill's bitter as sin. Also, can we talk for a moment about like Keanu Reeves is a beautiful human being, but Alex Winter hasn't aged a fucking day. <laughs> no, they, they they both they could have both basically walked off the set of Bogus Journey. It's nuts. Put a like it's really salt nuts. Pepper in the hair and then walked on the set. It is ridiculous. It's so weird. But Alex Winter in particular is amazing to me because it's like 
the dude went into directing and making documentaries for a yeah. living. Like he is, he has been behind the camera for about 25 plus years now. You know, occasionally making cameos on screen for stuff because people have gone, oh my God, I love you. Would you show up in this? And he's gone, oh, go on then. Sure, I'll, I'll do it. Let's do it. Because he's a great actor, but that's just not the path he's gone down. No. He's been doing the stressful job of producing, directing, organizing, figuring stuff out, being in the editing room, going from job to job. That job murders your like energy and soul and takes oh, yeah, years yeah. off of you. And yet... He doesn't look any fucking older. It's really, really weird. Um, he obviously was excellent to each other and partied on, dude. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean that. And then there's the, the like the next one along is um, is the next one along the Zen them where everything's yeah yeah where everything's worked out. Oh, you think it's all worked out, but then yeah, they, and they're in a big mansion out. and they're talking in British accents yeah. and, and everything. Um, and it turns out that they're actually just the older them are trying to palm off some of of the real owner of the house's music to them as the song because <laughs> yeah. it turns out it's Dave Grohl's house <laughs> who comes home and is like what the hell are you doing in my house and you're like oh my god um, one of two gratuitous musician cameos that pay off beautifully because it's Dave Grohl and Kid Cudi yeah. basically get like the film blows them for being like we we love you guys, so we're going to write some stuff in about you. Yeah, I mean, King King Cudi ends up being the essentially the mathematical <laughs> physics genius who helps them piece <laughs> the end plan together. Um, sure, why not? And then the next one's like them; they're doing time for various misdemeanors, and they're jacked, and they've come up with the song in prison, and it's just like this hellish chant. And, <laughs> but the 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 key to all of this is, and again, all about the innocence of it. They're not fussed all to, like they're worried about getting it right, but their main concern is they learn that in in all of these futures their wives leave them, yeah, because they're upset, and because obviously they're too dumb to really kind of realize what the issue is. They just try to search for a way to avoid that, and they find out at one point that, that the wives are visited by their future selves, their future <laughs> selves, who try to take them to every possible outcome and show them that there's no good outcome for them and they should leave Bill and Dead. Which ends up happening because when they finally find versions of themselves after the song has been written, who are in a retirement home in the future and are like clearly near the end of their life, but they're happy and they're content and still sharing a space together. Yeah. Like and 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 hanging out um while bedridden. <laughs> the older versions of their wives obviously come to visit, see the booth, and just take it back in time. She's so like, wait, so even in this timeline it doesn't work out? Oh shoot! And, and Oh god! Also, they're being pursued by a killer robot because the council of elders <laughs> in the future has decided that maybe their death is actually what helps. Like maybe we've always had the prophecy wrong, and it's not like a concert at that time. Maybe it's their death does something that leads to the events. And it, what have we got to lose? Like if we kill them, it so this robot is zapping people and killing them, including Ted's dad gets killed. This robot's amazing. Oh, we'll get to the robot. The robot's amazing. The robot's so. It's a guy who plays. It's a guy who plays Zaz in Gotham. Yeah. Which when I found that out, I was like, "What? Oh, because I'd seen clips of him in that, and I was like, he's kind of camp scary, but like scary camp scary. And this, he's freaking terrifying until he starts emoting, <laughs> and then it's the funniest thing. So good, he's just so insecure, um, and he looks he looks horrified. It's a really creepy design yeah. for a robot. Um, it's great, but but yeah, the the robot ends up crossing paths with their daughters <clears throat> because they find out what's going on 
found out that Kristen Scholl's like teleport thing is also a time travel like device. I also love that when they travel through time, it still looks like the old, obviously better graphics, but it looks like the exact same as it does yeah. in the first film, where it's like almost like phone lines and just sparks everywhere. That was quite nice. They kept that. Um, and yeah, he. It, uh, they go back in time and gather up musicians to basically form the ultimate band because their plan is when our dads get back, they can teach the song to the band and then it'll be like guaranteed the best performance ever. So they get like Louis Armstrong, but in it, it, in like his 30s. Yeah. Uh, maybe even younger. And they get Jimi Hendrix. And it's like, I mean, what a great idea, because what's happening now is while Bill and Ted are dealing with future stuff and then like, you know, the the, 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 the wacky hijinks of like trying to outthink an antagonistic force that's trying to stop them. Their kids, their daughters are doing the plot of the first film yep. by gathering historical figures together, but this time specifically musicians. So you get a different flavor for it, but then they get killed by the robot who basically evap- like vaporizes everyone. So they end up in hell. Which means that when Bill and Ted find that out, they force the robot to kill them. Or it tries to kill itself because it feels guilty. <laughs> uh, yeah, because they're, they're like, you, you can't kill us because you, you've been sent to kill us unless we come up with the, 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 uh, the, the song that unites the universe. Well, I've got it here on this USB drive, the one he just got from his future selves. And he's like, He's like, so if we don't have this, you, you you have to kill us. So he snaps the USB and he's like, right, come on then, kill us. Because then all of a sudden their trajectory is, we're going to save our girls. We're going to save our daughters. That's what's more important right now. And the robot's like, um, uh, feeling kind of guilty. Um, oh God. So it goes to kill itself and they jump in and get killed at the same time, arrive in hell. And you're like, oh my god, we're in Bogus Journey. Like, they the, the found ways to just meld the two previous films together but create a new story where they go and find Death, who's been demoted and is very <laughs> miserable and is cheating at games. He's playing hopscotch with himself and cheating. <laughs> <clears throat> the girls convince him to, to come back to the band after we get some classic sort of like bands that fell out having to reconcile their differences uh, stuff. Um, Because they, the thing is about (laughs) Bill and Ted the Younger, they are just as passionate and goofy and weird and stupid, but ultimately good-hearted as their dads were when they were kids. They're exactly the same. They love music. They're such nerds for it. They clearly have like genuine adoration for every one of these musicians that they pick up they know their history inside out they convince death to come along because they talk about his bass album and, and gush over it and <laughs> so, yeah so i mean spoilers 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 for face of music i love the fact that it turns out that the legend the whole thing was always wrong yeah because it was always preston and logan and they knew that it was the wild stallions and that it was a performance at united the universe it wasn't the performance at the end of Bogus Journey. That starts the whole thing going. It's the performance here on the highway. And it's not the band. It's <laughs> the band play, including Bill and Ted. So no one like it makes sense that there are like statues of them in the future because they're the ones doing the lead guitar yeah. on the song when it kicks off. But um 
it unites the world because it literally unites the world because the entire world they spread it all instruments everywhere and like the entire world joins in on this piece of music that stops like the rifts of everything collapsing in on itself but the logan and and uh preston that did this were their daughters producing the track they were the ones behind it all and their nicknames are little bill and little ted so it was bill and ted and it was a preston and a logan but it was never the lads ever it was always these two which i was like oh that's kind of brilliant oh and having watched all three back to back it fits yeah like because bill and ted are still known in the future as like the saviors of humanity that's true but it doesn't contradict that the preston and logan who created the song yeah doesn't have to be them like they would they play they played they were seen by everyone everyone knows who they are because they had a career as the wild stallions so it makes sense but that oh it's great it's great it's so good it's it's just it's feel good and stupid and the end credits is full of a bunch of random people like fans and a few celebrity cameos just like playing along to the big track at the end on different instruments including weird al and every time you see weird al everything immediately is 10 times better oh yeah um, I really enjoyed it. It's so stupid it's, and it's, so silly. It's fun um, and warm and silly, and there's no malice in it. I think that's what I yeah. That's what I really enjoyed about it. There's nothing mean spirited in it. It's just nice and fun. They're just really warm, perfect, like seven out of ten stupid comedy movies. Yeah, and then, like you said, it's it's the lack of it's the lack of malice. It's the lack of nastiness. It's not. It doesn't exist in these films. Any other time, the first movie, they would have been like bully victims and that would have been worked into the story. Nope, not important. Don't need to be. Doesn't have to be in there. Like, oh, I don't know. It just, it made me very, very happy. And I, if you've not, if you've not revisited the original two and you've still not decided to dip in on three, give it a go. For, for a lovely six hour period, including those two films, a curry and a tub of ice cream. We had like the nicest Sunday away from the way the world is right now. It was your, lovely. Your life will be richer for meeting Dennis Caleb McCoy. <laughs> Dennis, my name is Dennis. You named him after my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> it's the moment after he shoots the girls. Yeah. And then he's just standing there going, ah. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> and starts hopping from foot to foot. This 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 icy eyed like iPhone nightmare killer robot creature is like. Uh, this after he shoots the because <laughs> the first clue is after he shoots the dad in in the Dave Grohl timeline. He does it, then he sort of looks around like, uh, eyes look left and right a bit. Like, is that was I meant to do? Did I? And it just moves away to the next scene. And then the next time it's like, oh. <laughs> just his, his, his anxieties and awkwardness developing over the course of it. But he's a great dancer. Just go over there and practice your dancing. Go over there and do it. <laughs> if, you, if you're like, oh, but uh, they're not that daft, are they? Guys, death exists and the world knows him as a bass player. That's yeah. the world we're, we're in. Just dive in. It was so much fun. And it makes yeah. for a really fun trilogy. And they're all under an hour and a half, so just do it. Do it. 
do it. What you got do to it. Lose? Do it now. Come on. Speaking of doing it now, we um we're gonna get out of the way because by the time you're listening to this, you've probably already dipped into the fifth episode. So we're gonna just charge right in. Wonder Vision. Yes, episode four, in which. We interrupt this broadcast. Yeah, is the name of the episode. And I was like, very good, very, very good. Answers are finally made clear. Answers are and finally given, and yet more questions are posed. Turns out, folks, that the protagonist of this story is actually Monica Rambeau. Yes. Um, and our supporting cast is Teona Paris, starring alongside Kat Dennings and Randall Parks. These are actually the protagonists of WandaVision. These yes, are the people who are trying to save the day. Um, spoilers for WandaVision episode 4, OVS. We cut back to um, sometime before the events of WandaVision and then sometime in the days before where we picked up with it in episode 1 and then run concurrently through the previous three weeks. Um which it turns out all happen within the course of like a day. Um, <clears throat> meaning that's an even quicker pregnancy that Wanda went through. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So we open, Oh God, that opening we open for the first time ever. Really. We saw a glimpse of it in Spider-Man far from home in some like mobile phone footage during the news report, school news report at the start. But we open on, Monica Rambeau returning from the snap. Yeah. Which was pretty freaking cool. Yeah. She just she just reforms in a hospital bedside chair. And then is like, the hell? And you can tell she's a bit like, well, just... Huh. Because for her, she dozed off and has woken up five years later. Um, Her mum... Uh, who's oh, what's the name? What's the name? What's the actress's name? Uh, Lashana Having Lynch. a moment. Lashana Lynch, the wonderful Lashana Lynch, who of course we saw in Captain Marvel, uh, has passed away. She had she was in the hospital with cancer. She was dealing with it. She she bounced back, but the snap yeah, happened during that thing, time. The last thing Maria remembers is her coming out of a successful surgery for it hmm. and going into remission. <laughs> Yeah, and it seems that two years later she began to rear its head again and she passed away. In that time, Monica was not there because she and uh, half of the world's population had been snapped out of existence by yeah. Thanos. Um, we learn... I mean, that's heartbreaking and played so well by everyone involved. It's beautifully done. We then learn that uh, Monica's mum had been busy since the events of Captain Marvel. Also, when she wakes up and the the last thing she hears in her head is she hears Captain Marvel call a lieutenant trouble. Yeah. Before she snaps awake. And you're like, which was obviously there to just sort of give a nudge to any audience who hadn't connected the dots yet. Like, it's the kid from Captain Marvel, guys. Mm -hmm. It's the the little girl from Captain Marvel. Um, We then learned that her mum founded S.W.O.R.D., which makes Which perfect sense. Makes perfect sense because, of course, she freaking would. And it's also kind of awesome because in the Marvel universe, there are two big organizations that deal with uh, supernatural, superhero, supervillain, and extraterrestrial threats. And both of them were founded by women. Well, freaking done, guys. Yay. <laughs> Peggy, Peggy, Peggy Carter founded Shield, um, and then brought in Howard Stark and Dum Dum Dugan to get the ball rolling. 
and uh, Monica's mum finds sword. And the acting director, who still feels kind of wrong that he's doing it, because he's like, it really kind of should be you. But, you know, I, I, it was your mum's wishes. Reveals to Monica that, like, yeah, so you're part of this whole thing where everyone came back. We're not entirely sure what to do with you, but we can't... You're out of active duty. Because normally what Monica was doing was going to space. Her mum flew planes. She flies spaceships. Uh, she was doing space stuff and she's being grounded on her mum's orders because her mum always believed that she would come back, which is wonderful. Like her, her mum obviously is thinking about like, no, no, no. Like I'm mates with Carol. Like something's going to happen and it's all going to work out. Like my daughter will be back. But she kind of figured that she was probably, she herself was probably going to pass away before Monica came back. So she left protocols, one of which was to keep her safe, was to basically be like, you're grounded for a while when you get back. Like you need to yeah work on earth you know find you said don't rush into it because she knew she'd like be hot-headed about it all uh, that might have accidentally put monica in more danger because she then goes to investigate a is it an fbi complaint um, um it's FBI missing persons as case it. fbi <clears throat> agent jimmy Woo as as, as uh... jimmy freaking woo returning since ant-man and the wasp and not only that when he pulls out his calling card he freaking sleight of hand magics it out of air uh, you're like that made me smile so much i was like oh god dude's been practicing since that man of the wasp he was that annoyed that scott could do it that he has been youtube videoing his way through tutorials and now can do that and it's the fact she doesn't react to it at all and you can just see this very mild sort of oh on his face when she talks to him and it's like great brilliant he did it for nothing he did it for nothing um but yeah jimmy woo is like so we're here at the bar- the border of Westview, which seems to be the centre of this missing persons case. There are people who've gone missing in this area, and it all kind of triangulates here. Yeah, it's pinged. It's pinged from the F- for the FBI because one of the people that's gone missing is in the witness protection program. Yeah, and because um, I mean, they're making that, she makes the whole thing of like, wait, so the witness protection program lost someone? So that's not how that works. But not only that, the cops that are aiding them at the border of Westview. Don't even see it. Uh, they're from Eastview, and they've never heard of a Westview. Yeah. And it's like, whereas Monica and Jimmy are looking at it, they're like, it's it's right there. This town is right there. So she sends a drone in, a sword drone, which is like a little helicopter with camera mount. In, do you notice it was in Captain Marvel colours? Yep. Which was extra special, because then, of course, when it rocks up in Wanda's world, it looks like a Stark um, piece of tech. It looks like a toy yep. helicopter, but it's in Iron Man colours. It's like... What is going on? Uh, goes through. They don't know what the hell's happening. And then she goes through and she's gone. Bring in S.W.O.R.D. and the FBI sort of all working together, setting up camp and bringing in as many scientific experts as possible to look into this, including another returning face, Darcy Lewis, who is now no longer uh, studying her social sciences uh, field because uh, she interns in the first Thor because no one else applied, basically. Mm-hmm. She works with, uh, with, um, uh, oh God, Jane, I'm having a moment. What's Jane's surname? Porter. No. Porter. No. Hang on. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Foster. 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 Natalie Portman. Jane Porter is from Tarzan. There you go. Hey. (laughs) There we are. Uh, Jane Foster and, and, uh, Selvig. She works with them basically because she's the only one who applied for that internship. <clears throat> and um 
And because of the course, then she has an intern of her own in Thor: The Dark World. Um, but she's back, and she now studies like astro astrophysicism and science, and like all the stuff. She that's has her and, doctorate, and she's yeah, she's Doctor Darcy Lewis now. So she's been busy since Thor: The Dark World. Yeah. Um, and she's also the one who cracks it. She doesn't take bullshit from the FBI setup, and she just gets through it and figures out that it's whatever's inside there is broadcasting a very light radio wave that is very similar to old TV signals. So she gets hold of an very old analog monitor and suddenly she's watching WandaVision mm-hmm. and we're seeing the events of the last three episodes play out on a TV we quite, see that quite nicely confirms that the person making notes who we see at the end of episode one is episode Darcy one is Darcy it's the exact same shot it's, yeah. it's beautifully done uh, Jimmy and she try to contact Wanda through a radio signal and it that's the Wanda, who's doing this to you? Wanda moment in, uh, <clears throat> in episode two, where the radio at the poolside is, is talking to Wanda. Um, she, of course, finds the, the drone. They send someone in in a hazmat suit through the sewers because they don't think that whatever this effect is that's affecting up above is affecting necessarily like below. And yet it does because the rope he's attached to turns to a jump rope. <laughs> and his hazmat suit turns to a beekeeper outfit halfway through explaining the ending of episode two yep um they notice the glitches they start to theorize they become as hooked as we are which is really freaking cute because the things jimmy woo's writing on the whiteboard are basically the questions we've had as each week's gone forward it's like oh god they know their audience so damn well um uh and then add on to that they're identifying missing persons like they're finding them as various cast members in the show. All the people who are living in Westview, the characters that Wander and Vision interact with, are the missing people. Uh, and a few extras that hadn't been reported yet or, or connected to this. Interestingly, Agnes was the only one without a driver's license. That might yeah. be because she, that might be because she doesn't drive, but She's not Catherine Hahn's the yet. only Catherine Hahn's the only cast member who is also named alongside Olsen and Bettany in the end credits. In yeah. The, so I think there's more going on there. Um so that's interesting. Uh they also notice the bends in reality and when the show changes. Uh and that's where they conclude that Wanda clearly has a degree of control over this. They also have spotted that uh, Monica is going undercover as Geraldine. And they can't decide whether or not she's like under mind control or whether mm-hmm. or not she's playing along. And as we then can deduce, I guess she's kind of both. She's settled into the reality of it all, but she also has been waiting for an opportunity to talk to Wanda alone and and piece things together a bit more. Um, because then we see their perspective on the, your brother was killed by Ultron, wasn't he? Moment. Yep. And we got to relive that horrid tension all over again, albeit with a few extra like 20, 20 to 30 seconds of material at the end of it, where we see exactly what happened and why she was outside of Westview. Monica gets psychically, uh, telekinetically blasted through several walls, fences and soundstage paintings before crashing outside. Ouch. Wanda loses her shit. It's really scary mm. um and also it's <clears throat> it makes it clear that what we are seeing as the audience is almost but not quite what they're seeing 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are seeing what we've watched for the last three weeks, bar the little cuts at the end to something happening at a monitor watching it, is what has been broadcasting on the monitors. Mm. We've not been seeing everything that's happened. Including, obviously, the because what they see, what Jimmy and, and Darcy see is near enough what we saw last week it's it's the uh uh she squares up against geraldine and then suddenly her and vision are having a gay old time sat on the couch now last week when we saw that we saw like a little bit more didn't we we saw vision being like everything okay and she's like yeah it's fine and then they sit down with the babies and lovely lovely time the version that darcy and jimmy see cuts to that a little quicker yeah but we also see i guess what wanda really saw um this time which is fucking terrifying <laughs> because because vision's in the back of shot and he's like is everything all right and i said to lucy i went oh it's like the colors drained in the back of the shot no wasn't wasn't the whole back of the shot <laughs> zombie visions basically stood behind yeah. it's, it's vision looking like he did albeit in a lovely sweater um looking like he did at the end of Infinity War, grey and dead with a cracked open skull and white eyes just stood there, seemingly unaware that he's dead. <laughs> um, Is Vision there? Or is that what Vision actually looks like and she's weekend at burning him around the place? Well, these are, these are the questions that it raises. <clears throat> yeah. Or amongst yeah. the questions that it raises, shall we say. Good God, yeah. Um... I'm really enjoying this show. It's really good. I'm really, um, really enjoying I it. I think this is just the sort of shot in the arm of that it needed to to sort of string along some of the less enthusiastic folks who are watching it. Because if br- if if next week is now full on sitcom again, they're all going to be watching it, looking for the cracks now more yeah. more so than before. Yeah, I know what you. I know what you mean. The people who've not been charmed so far. See, I, I I'm on board for it regardless but i think this just gave people enough gave the, the sort of more skeptical people enough stuff to work with to sort of go oh, okay this is where we are um it's definitely a bit more fan servicey in terms of like doing things like oh this is like the immediate aftermath of people coming back from the snap and and here's what this character is now and oh yeah oh, remember this character this character's coming along and you know cute interactions and uh, like um like there's some neat uh sort of repartee between between Darcy and Jimmy, which is good fun. Um, I mean that's what happens when you get two seasoned sitcom actors, yeah, <laughs> sort yeah. of bounce off each other. Um, I find it interesting that there's two seasoned sitcom actors that aren't in the sitcom bit of this show. Yes, that's <laughs> that is that is kind of genius though. Weird, um, and again, like. Does that mean that Catherine Hahn's the only one in the sitcom who's kind of got that experience, really? Don't know. Because, yeah, I mean the rest, the rest of them, well, you know, they all they've all done their fair share of TV and film, but like she's sort of the only sort of oh you you've done sitcoms and and weird comedy shows like before, so you kind of fit into this. Whereas, like you said, everyone else who's done that is playing characters who aren't involved. <laughs> In that side well, not of necessarily everyone else, but like the two uh, of the like the sort of <clears throat> top build cast. Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. The, there's two people who are, who are sitcom veterans that aren't in the sitcom segment as of yet. Yeah, that's true. There's plenty of time who because knows? 
it looks like, unless there is something else going on, it looks like our series antagonist is actually Wanda. Yeah. We've been watching what Wanda wanted us to watch. And it, it made me revisit a moment. Um, <clears throat> it made me revisit a moment from episode three. Oh, yes. The bit where Vision talks to Wanda about his concern before he uh, she then very quickly just rewinds it. And suddenly the conversation starts again from 20 seconds prior. Yeah. And, and goes a different way. When he's talking to her, he comes down like he sort of sits down on the couch and talks to her closely. And I'll do it to you down the lens, but describe it to the listeners. He's sort of talking to Wanda and he sort of takes a breath and he just very briefly looks at the camera and then looks back to Wanda. And it's only for a moment. But his face is sort of like, is there anyone out there? It's that kind of like signaling to someone sort of expression it's really weird to describe i'll have to try and find the clip and send it to you because someone has now mm. clipped someone has now clipped that moment up because they were like i'm sure he looks at the camera they i mean i could just up. go back and watch it like yeah but he but he, he comes down he sits down he talks and he just sort of takes that breath looks right down the barrel and then looks at wonder again carries on the conversation it's like oh oh that's frightening now that you've spotted it that's really frightening because oh okay is Vision's consciousness a willing, an unwilling participant in what's happening? Is it even Vision? Like it? Ah, oh, so many new questions. But I'm I'm excited. I'm, I'm very I'm, excited. Yeah, I'm satisfied by. I'm picking up what he's putting down. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> we've we've bought the T-shirt and we're wearing it proudly. Yes, we're at that stage now. Um, speaking of that stage. We're at that stage of the show where we dive into a murky, terror-filled, apple-bobbing cauldron full of rancid fruits that is known as the emails. Well, we've got another missive from uh, our... You love that word, and I'm glad missive. you love that word, because no one else in my life uses that word. No one else uses missive. No one else uses it. No. Um, well, they should, because it's a great word. It's a uh, we, word. Got, we have another follow-up missive from... Um, from good old Tom Monty. Sorry, I didn't understand that name. I think you're not pronouncing it the original Latin. Uh, Tom Monty. I'll take it. Um. So, hey Tom. This one comes with the title of Rupert Grind. <laughs> the real Thirteenth Doctor, Rupert <laughs> Grind. Um. And Tom writes, "Dear Chris and Matt." Hey Tom. I do apologise for all the negativity about Chibnall and Whittaker last time. You seem to think right. poorly of my delight in the idea uh, that Whittaker <laughs> will be leaving in season 13 and said that Jodie's not the weak link in the current era, but I have to somewhat disagree. Oh. I, I agree that she's not the weak link, but I think she's a weak link. Yeah, most of my dislike for this year era comes from Chibnall's direction, but we've had two series of this uh, incarnation of the Doctor and I'm still waiting to feel like she's earned that title. I know this is mainly down to Chibs, but Jodie doesn't do much for me in terms of dissociating this Doctor from the bland scripts that plague her era. Although, with pre unlike with previous Doctors who've shone through the rubbish. But maybe Chibs' scripts are just that bad. I, I think, just to quick cut in, I think what Tom's experiencing is kind of what I experienced with Capaldi. Really. Yeah, I think a little bit. Like, I like um, I liked him a lot, but I never really liked his Doctor. Um, And, and I felt like it... it you know, as each se I, I began to really like his doctor in series ten, but by then it was too late. Yeah, so it was, was like, it, oh, okay. he, he got McCoyed. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed your analogy of me letting go of that picture of Chibble on a hillside by the ocean, and you might be right. <laughs> to rephrase the 12th Doctor in his final moments, perhaps it's time to let go of the Doctor for now. Yeah. But I'm glad you're getting enjoyment out of Whittaker and Chibnall, but for me, sadly, after the after the appalling revolution, I've decided that this area is a lost cause in my books, and the quicker the next one comes along, the better. Well, I hope you get some Doctor Who you can enjoy soon. Yeah, me too. And, and that's the thing as well. I hope everyone can enjoy the show. Yeah. In the meantime, if you want to keep watching what they put out, uh, knowing that it's probably not going to tickle your pickle, then go for it. Like, Or just do the thing. Like, it's okay or, to step away. Yeah. Or don't and check it out when things change. That's that's the beauty of it. That it's 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 one of those shows where we have so much of it that if it ain't doing it for you anymore, you could always just go back and watch the older stuff for a while and then dip in later. And then well, hey, you you you're a mega fan. You'll probably go back and fill the gaps at some point anyway. If you get if you go back into it and enjoy it later, you'll go. Do you know what? I'm gonna watch series thirteen and see what that's like and dip back in. Yeah, you know I mean, it's how it is, isn't it? It's always, it's always, it's always. Well, on that note, uh, thank you for your third and fourth Doctor recommendations last time. They're proving very useful. Uh, Chris, I'm really enjoying your marathon reviews with Lucy. I've gone back and watched all the ones that line up with what I've watched. And now I'm watching them every time I finish a serial. I Ooh, use the motivation to get through because sometimes <laughs> I enjoy your reviews more than the actual episodes. <laughs> uh, I've noticed you just reviewed the TV movie. Are you going to be reviewing all of New Who as well? Yes. Um, as of this recording, the most recent episode of our Doctor Who review to come out on YouTube. Those who are curious, just search Doctor Who review official CDJ. You'll probably find it. But uh, the most recent one to come out was Destiny of the Doctors. We we dipped into one video game uh, just because we wanted to talk about Anthony Ainley's last performance oh, as the Master. No, um, it's cute. Um, it is. It is ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, we I. I on, on my screen right now, I have all of the ones that are uploaded and ready to go out because we record them so far in advance at this point. So here's a little tidbit for you. A little Valentine's gift from us. On the 14th of February, you'll be getting The Curse of Fatal Death. Um, on the 28th of Feb, because it only comes once every four years, uh, you'll be getting Scream of the Shalker. Oh, yeah. And then on the 26th of March and every sort of three weeks from that point on, we begin the new series of Doctor Who. Uh, the most recent one we made, which won't be coming out until July, and we made it today, is uh, the Tardisodes. We finish series two and then we look back at the mini prequels that were put out on the Doctor you Who website. You love the don't you? Oh, I love a Tardis they're, they're pretty fun. Like, these low-budget thingamajigs that don't really add much. You have to remember that you, like, signed up to the website and you could either watch them on the Doctor Who website, like, two or three days before the episode. And it was this little prequel, this little, this little taste of what you were going to get that weekend. Or they'd get emailed to your phone because it was, like, early, early phone emails. Uh. And you'd click it and it would download this short clip for you to watch on your phone um they're cute they're really really cute the best one being the prequel to um uh uh the girl in the fireplace because you meet the crew of the ss oh, yes. madame de pompadour on the day that they're hit by this like uh meteor or whatever and, and it goes to crap 
and as one of the crew members is lying in sort of like the the the, the cockpit of the ship, um, sort of in clearly injured and in pain, the crew member hers is dead nearby. You hear the clockwork assistance droids approaching, and she's like, "Oh, thank God you're here! Like, I, I need medical. What do you do?" No, not it grabs her leg and pulls her out of frame, and then it cuts to the clock on Madame de Pompadour on young Renette's mantelpiece, and that's when the glass goes crack and it shatters. And it's like, oh, it's it's pretty cool. Like you get to see things that um, the episodes make you aware existed, but that they happen in these prequels. It's it's kind of cool. Um, they never carried on that tradition, but it sort of lives on. In the series five, six, and like, seven box sets, where they've got these like extra short films, like yeah. with with the Doctor and Amy, or the Doctor and River Song, or Clara and the TARDIS. So there's all these little shorts that they made for the DVDs. Um, so yeah, I wish they'd done more stuff like that. It costs like it costs like twenty quid to Once, make them. What, what, just one of many many things that the BBC's tried with Doctor Who that it's cast aside after doing it once. Yeah, um, yeah. Also, Chris, I listened to your podcast with Russell T. Davies, and it was great. Uh, do you know what the T stands for? What? The. Russell the Davies. Um, how did that happen? I assume you have contact with him from when you worked at Sububasa. Is that the no. first time he's been on the <laughs> Is that the first time he's been on the podcast? I enjoyed hearing about the Sarah Jane Adventures, and I would die to hear you ramble all your thoughts about his era of Doctor Who to him. Did you invite him to the big damn cast? Uh, speaking of RTD, have you watched It's a Sin? I watched it all in two days and I really enjoyed it. And now I want to watch Cucumber because I'm yet to watch that. Oh, it's so good. Before I go, I just want to tell you, you are fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. And do you know what? What? Tom Monty. Um Brilliant. Um, uh, uh, I'd start at the beginning. Uh, Rusty D. No, that's his one appearance on Out of the Broom Cupboard. He doesn't do podcasts often. It's very rare he'll do stuff like that. He he'll pop onto uh, student writing things for universities occasionally, like live calls and zooms and things like that. But he won't do podcasts. The reason why he was more than happy to do out the broom cupboard is because it wasn't a podcast asking him questions about Doctor Who or Queer as Folk, like specifically. It was you started your career in kids TV. I want to talk to you about that and yeah. also why you think it's important. Now, in inevitably, and I, I never stoked that flame, I'm proud to say. I made sure I never did. But inevitably, he brings up Doctor Who stuff throughout the podcast occasionally, and we talk about it. And it was also distracting, because throughout the entire call, there was a Cyberman head sat on his couch behind him in his office, uh, staring at me. Because why so, wouldn't it be? But of course, you know, it's the same office from, you know, the bit in the Fireish Doctors, you know, the Kelder Mars. Oh, campus. yeah. Which, at the moment the, the call opened, I just looked, I was like, because <laughs> I just thought of that moment. <laughs> It's like, oh yeah. Um, uh, would he ever do Big Damn Cast? Probably not, because he doesn't do a lot of podcasts, but I'm pretty sure that if we finally do get to fucking do a live version in, in a place with people, which we'd love to bloody do, but at this point, I think those people would have to be sat 700 metres away from the stage in individual bubbles. Probably better um, for them that way. It'd be, it'd be fun to like get him in on one of those things if we had a more structured thing and ask him about yeah. stuff. Because um, this is very free flowing and sort of unprofessional. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, we just sort uh, of chat for an hour and a bit. Yeah, and uh, put it on the internet. 
just I put some pictures on it. You make yeah. it sound nicer uh, than the we, we do the thing. That goes into these shows is Chris's thumbnail work. Like that's <laughs> sometimes those graphics, little bastards. But sometimes, yeah. it's, sometimes it takes two minutes. Sometimes it takes five hours. But that, um, is, that is the most effort that goes into these 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 episodes of the podcast. I still don't think I'm going to top the one division thumbnail from a couple of weeks ago. That was good work. That was almost bleeding. Work. It's up there. It's up there with my other favorite. I'm, I'm just nerding out of my own bloody thumbnails. It's up there with my other favorite, the Tim Curry Pennywise one, which I really like. Okay, hi, um, I'm your own supply, son. <laughs> but uh, no, CBBC connections. Yes and no. Um, I hosted the first ever like live event screening of Wizards vs Aliens, and the guests were Scott Haram, Purcell Ascot, Annette Badland, and Phil Ford, the co-creator and head writer of the show. Those were the guests. Um. And then on the day, it was at Media City, we event we the event organizers, we rock up, and Phil gets a text. Um, and he's like, Oh, he says there's someone waiting for us in the studio block. And we went in the studio block and Russell was in reception. And he said hello and he just went, Turns out I've ended up with a free day. So if if you want me, I'm here. And we were like, Yeah, of course. Get in there, Rusty. That, yeah, join us, welcome aboard, and he, because he, he cares a lot about Kids TV, one of the reasons I got him the podcast, he watched he watched a lot of CBBC, so he knew who I was, and he was very grateful for the stuff I'd done for Sarah Jane Adventures promos and everything, so, um, yeah, we just we just stayed in touch after that, we'd have a chat every now and again, send each other stupid memes, he's a nice man, so, yeah, that's, no CBBC connection, he's just a good man, uh, he said, tell me Clara, am I a good man, and I said, Yes, he's a good um, egg. So yeah, got him on the Soft got him boiled. on the pod. Um, what was the other question? Have we seen it to sin yet? Nope. I've not because I we need talked to about uh, this a bit last week. Yeah, I still need to emotionally prepare myself for it. Yeah, because cucumber, cucumber was wonderful, and then it destroyed me, and then it was wonderful. Banana was wonderful, and then it twisted the knife around the same time cucumber does, and then it was lovely again. Um. Years and years emotionally crippled me. <laughs> like, it crushed my soul. So I'm uh, knowing how It's a Sin has played to its audience so far, I'm like, oh, I really need to be ready. Hence why I had like a Bill and Ted marathon. I just needed some yeah. really stupid distraction. But um, suffice it to say, if It's a Sin ends up disappearing off four player, more four, whatever it's called, before it before I've seen it, I, I would... I know that I would enjoy it enough that I would buy it on DVD. So I'm like, here we go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive in. Add it to your so, rusty yeah. D shelf. Yeah, I've got a fair. I've, yeah, I've got a fair amount of his stuff at this point. Well, he's done good stuff, hasn't he? Yeah, I think the only stuff I've not got is Bob and Rose, and Queer as Folk. I, I don't own those. Apart from that, oh, uh, and I don't own a very English Scandal. Not got that one either. But. Um, yeah. But I my my second coming and Casanova DVD is a pride of flesh, sir. <laughs> By Jingo. Um have you seen uh either of them in the last like ten year? I saw more? Second Coming when it <clears throat> first aired. Bloody hell. So yeah. You would you would have been like what, fourteen, fifteen? Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's fucking That's, good, man. Oh, it's just Mark Benton as well. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like the the uh, the the only kind of risky element of it beyond the initial concept where you're like, this could this could just totally not work. And he's so frightening that it works so well. Oh, God, it's great. 
It's great. Casanova. Have you ever seen Casanova? I've seen bits of it. I've not seen I'm, all of it. I'm gonna have to let it. It's, it's it's a it's a mini series. It's like a it's like a it's like a Tim Curry Pennywise three hours and change in length, and it, it's it's meant to be watched just three episodes. It's so good. It's filth as well. It's absolute filth. Um, Excellent. Yeah, and again, a lot of the same actors pop up in it. Um, Nina Sasanya, Matt Lucas, Annette Badland, some bloke called David Tennant's in the lead role. On yeah. your mention of Tim Curry, no, I'm no. going to close out the podcast. <gasps> uh, before I do, I'm going to remind everyone that you can, of course, contact us on bigdamncontact at gmail.com if you want emails on the show. You can get us at bigdamncast on Twitter. Don't forget to drop by twitch.tv forward slash bigdamnstream for a bit of uh, gameplay goodness every now and again. And if you do fancy chucking us a shekel or two, just to keep lights on, you can do that over at patreon.com forward slash big damn cast. But yes, on the on a on a on a Tim Curry note, I'm gonna leave you with uh, a bit of knowledge that I'm not gonna speak to you any further about. Oh. But I'm just gonna tell you yeah. something oh. and then not engage with you on it, because I wanna <laughs> see the pain on your face. Oh. This weekend gone, I watched two uh projects featuring tim curry right i watched the 2000 charlie's angels oh yeah yeah and yeah. i watched beauty and the beast and the Chapter christmas no and i'm just gonna leave you with that information and no. not talk about it anymore and i just want you to know that we're not gonna have that conversation ever bye this is CGI organ. Why? Why? Don't fall in love.